Well, as you can probably imagine, I'm pro zoo. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. But I, I do see there is a strong, there is a strong need even today for having zoos. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. when are you going to be able to see these animals? And I, for one, am, am, am a person that when I, when I experienced an animal, not just on the television screen mm -hmm. and, not, and not just a random happenstance of seeing them, but by experiencing them up close, I fell in love with the ocean. And it was that, that was what drew me to become a conservationist. Welcome back, everyone, to Dr. D's Social Network Podcast. And today, our guest is PJ Bevan. Uh, PJ is a zookeeper and also the founder of ZooFit. I think you'll find this conversation extremely rewarding, learning about specifically the world of elephants, who she worked with uh, quite a bit, and how they behave in this almost kind of alien feeling they have. But there's so much humanity in elephants as well. It's hard to explain, but I think once you listen, you really get a sense of being close to a population of animals. It's really amazing. And then, as I said, uh, she starts talking a little bit about zoo fit and how she transitioned from zookeeping to fitness and, and creating a philosophy around fitness with uh, the zoo. So full of information, lots of stuff to really take home, some gems here in the conversation with PJ Bevan. We're here with PJ uh, Bevan, and uh, PJ and I actually met in person, which is very rare on this podcast. Everybody I meet is always through this lens, so welcome, PJ. Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure to meet you. Same here. It was funny. It was cold, which was unlike what it is now. What it right. was at least a couple this <laughs> earlier this week, you know. Yeah, luckily the the weather is. It's starting to, to come down a little bit more tolerable. I, I've lived in the southeast coast of the United States for a, a, a good part portion of my life. So mm -hmm. I sometimes feel weird complaining about the heat to my friends in Florida and South yeah. Carolina. But considering for those of you listening, considering that the Pacific Northwest typically doesn't have a lot of air conditioning yeah the heat at this extreme can be very very detrimental to 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 people's health so it's it we have a reason for for being a little bit yes. whiny up here yeah this this heat dome or so it was crushing <laughs> it was it was crushing yeah with no ac in the house it was like wow we gotta be some fans and be creative here with getting some uh, cool air, you know? Yes. Yeah. We, we have one portable air conditioning unit. So we just stuffed the, everybody in the, in yeah. the bedroom for a week, which is not a, a great, it's not fun for every, anybody. <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> so how have you been since we, since we met? How, how's life been? Oh, it's, it's been, it's been busy, believe it or not. I, I've, I laughed. I was thinking about how you know, last time we, when we met, um, there was still, we we're at that cusp. People were starting to get their, their the, the 
state and the mm -hmm. country was starting on the cusp of opening up. Um, and now we've, we're, we're opening up. I've actually had some recent emails that, you know, places are going to be at full capacity. Um, masks are optional for those who have been vaccinated. And uh, so things are, are getting, are changing, going back to what we call quote unquote normal. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a little weird for me. I'm seeing people yeah. in the store and I'm like, where's your mask? But <laughs> <laughs> because that became such a norm for me. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how quickly I got into that habit of, of you know, washing our hands and yeah. doing everything to, to help spread the, the spread disease, not just coronavirus, but spread disease yeah. in general. So uh, it's been a little weird, but a good weird. I think it's a good weird. We're, we're on our way, on our way back. Yeah. You know, it was funny. Um, Michelle and I were saying how like you meet people when they just have a mask, like you never meet them without <laughs> the mask and you like wonder what the bottom part of their face looks like. And then all of a sudden it's like, surprise. Now I see how you actually look. It's kind of funny because you don't know because we spent so much time wearing masks and stuff like that. It's just, and that's kind of the beauty of meeting somebody during certain times and then talking to them later is a lot changes during that time. Yes. Yeah. And, and I will, I will admit that there are some things that even though they've gone back to, as I said, quote unquote, normal for others, there are some things that, that my family has just uh, embraced. And, you know, there's, there's also been a new normal for us. We have been dealing with, um, my husband has a kidney transplant, mm -hmm. so he is high risk, and he's, it's been that way since he's had this kidney transplant. Um, so things along, along lines of wearing masks is a new normal for us, mm -hmm. no matter where we go, and um, just being courteous of, of others. So yeah. it's, but it's a, it is still nice that, you know, now that we can, we can see each other in person and not, mm -hmm and not be like terrified <laughs> of what's going yeah. to happen to us. I know, right? It's uh it's different times and uh you know, I want to jump right into a little bit of your background and you know, I want to save that from we were chatting before about your work in zoos and and for those people who are listening, you can refer back to this a little bit to Dr. Stephanie Shuttler's episode, the wildlife biologist cuz she introduced us actually yes. such a small world and we didn't know that we actually lived in the same town which is wild by the way <laughs> crazy wild. it is crazy wild it was I, I did thank stephanie for for the introduction and i was listening to your podcast mm -hmm. and i listening to that episode and you made a mention that oh i love lo watching the eagles in my small town yeah. called blaine i'm like wait what <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah we live in the same 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 very small town again this yeah. is a, a blink you miss it town and the fact that uh that we were both introduced by someone who lives on the other side of the country i'll mm. remind you yes. <laughs> so um was really kind of uh one of those wonderful type of happenstance i absolutely adore when when these type of yeah. meetings meetings take place so very very thrilled to to meet you and michelle yeah and and have that opportunity to connect with some really cool folks great, <laughs> in our, right? our, our town. Yeah. That's like the beauty of 
reaching out to people and having connections, you don't know where it's going to lead. You never know. Right, right. And you get these strange things like this. And you're like, the planet is so much smaller than you think it is. It's so it really strange. is. Really is, you know. And she's talking about, <clears throat> you know, zoos and stuff. And then she introduced me to you. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on here, you know, a deeper dive into zoos. So you were a zookeeper. Is that correct for a long time? I was for 15 years. I worked wow. all over the country with pretty much every imaginable zoo animal that you can you can think of. I started my career working with marine animals and uh, kind of moved my way around. I've worked with birds and I worked with um, with some reptiles and then I came across the country and I ended up at Woodland Park Zoo, which is in Seattle, uh, working with elephants for quite a few years. What's the... Uh... Stephanie and I talked about elephants a decent amount. And uh, I mean, it seems like an amazing creature. What was your experience working with elephants? I mean, amazing doesn't uh, begin to, to uh, describe working with elephants. So they are the largest land animal. And, and they're one of the largest animals that you can see in, in zoos and aquariums today. And they are just again they're very smart they're they're social but they're so they're still kind of alien to to mm. us so like we think when we think smart and social we think humans we think you know primates and the elephants are very very different from that they again mm. they they communicate differently um they interact with each other differently they don't have hands like we do so they interact mostly with their trunk and with with vocalizations and again so while they're while we're studying them we're learning more about them they're still kind of again there's just it's like an alien uh, species to 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 work with and to and to communicate with and, uh, and so it was really just amazing to be able to do that to be able to build a relationship with an animal that's so so different from a human and even different mm. from what we're used to. Like, again, another type of alien animal we could consider is our pets. We can't, mm. we can't speak their same language. They're on all fours. They are covered with fur, which by the way, again, in this heat wave, <laughs> yeah. are, we're not, we're not thrilled, but they're, they're a bit of an alien species and we're trying to understand them. And, uh, and, but we've gotten even better with our pets because we live with them so much. Yeah. So working with elephants was getting closer to that realm. So working with them day in and day out, we're getting a little bit closer to understanding how they work. And most importantly for us as humans, how we can protect them, how we can mm. keep them, keep them around, how we keep elephants around for generations to come. You said building a relationship. What did that entail? And what did that mean? Good question. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned this and building a relationship and how do you build a relationship mm -hmm. with a with an animal? As I mentioned, you can't actually you know, communicate with. Well, this is based on on trust. And it's also based on a principle called, uh, well, a philosophy called operant conditioning mm -hmm. and positive reinforcement. So 
when we're working with the with these animals, we rely on on I, the other words are like rewards, incentives, um, motivations, positive interactions, things that they enjoy to build trust between the two of us. So if you do what I'm asking you to do, then you're going to get something that you really like. Mm -hmm. It can be food. It can be some kind of treat, your favorite treat. It could be simply um, a rub down. It could be like an, uh, one of our, one of the elephants I actually enjoyed getting her tongue rubbed and, <laughs> and I've actually worked with other animals that enjoy that too. Hmm. Um, and so it's a weird, if they like the tactile sensation, we would give that to them. And other times there was a, one of the elephants I worked with had a very strong bond with one of the other elephants. And so one of the things that we could do that, you know, after you work with us, after you finished your, our, our, healthcare check or work on your, you know, giving you your pedicure, so to speak. Once we're done with that, we're going to let you back in with your favorite, your favorite elephant. And so you can socialize. So again, just always pairing the things that we're doing with them with something super fun and positive and, uh, and something that they really enjoy and doing that over time builds a lot of trust. So even if we have to have them do something that they don't like, such as a vet visit or, yeah. or uh, for one of our older elephants who had arthritis, lifting her leg was uncomfortable for her. And so we're working on her feet might not have been the most pleasurable experience for her, but she got things that she enjoyed. And so even if it was a little uncomfortable, she was willing to work with us because we yeah. had such a positive relationship. So that's, that was the key. And that's, again, in my opinion, the only way you can really work effectively with animals like this, using kind of any kind of force, um, using mm -hmm. punishment, it, it breaks down those, that relationship. And you're, it, it's, you don't, it's not as effective. It's definitely, mm -hmm. It's a lot, again, just think of it this way. If you're teaching your dog to sit by only focusing on it, not standing, not laying down, not jumping around, it's not, it, it actually is a lot more effective to just teach it what you want it to yeah. do. And that's, that's the way positive reinforcement works in zoos as well. You know, one of the things that um, Stephanie and I talked about was kind of the, the dilemma of zoos in a sense that, you know, people, when are they ever going to see animals like this? But also kind of maybe the issue of having zoos at the same time with that. And what were your, what's your thought about that and your kind of philosophy related to that topic? Well, as you can probably imagine I'm pro zoo, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. but I, I do see there is a strong, there is a strong need even today for having zoos, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. when are you going to be able to see these animals? And I, for one, am, am, am a person that when I, when I experienced an animal, not just on the television screen mm -hmm. and not, and not just a random happenstance of seeing them, but by experiencing them up close, I fell in love with the ocean. And it was that 
that was what drew me to become a conservationist. Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, I did everything I could protect ocean, not just dolphins and seals and sea lions. It was all ocean life that yeah. mattered to me. And, and that's what I think happens in zoos. So while I am a unique individual, I am not I'm not an island. I'm not the only person that is touched by these type of experiences. Yeah. So I know that zoos have a very, very important role in inspiring the next generation of people who are going to care about the environment. Unfortunately, we live in, an, in, a, in a world where out of sight becomes out of mind. Mm. And so if we don't have the opportunity to see these animals we we don't most of the time we don't know they even exist there have been many many people who have come to the zoo to see the elephants or the gorillas the big megafauna yeah. the giraffes but then they see the taper and they don't know what a taper is but oh my gosh this animal is amazing and it's so cool and look at this and oh my gosh suddenly they realize that tapers exist and that they can they learn how to uh, learn how to protect them, not just elephants, not just the lions or the or the gorillas. So there is the again, that's that's part of it. Um, but there is the, the dichotomy of like, okay, well, certain animals may not belong in zoos. And to that right. to that effect, I'll say yes and no. There are certain right. animals that don't belong in all zoos. And there are some zoos that have done big megafauna like elephants incredibly well. Uh, Disney Animal Kingdom is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they've done they've they they've done a tremendous job with the elephants. Oregon Zoo, which is not too far from us, mm -hmm. um, they've done they've revamped their elephant program and they have an amazing, amazing area as well. There are some zoos that uh, that that may or may not be able to keep up with demands of what what is required of elephants. Yeah. So again, I've, I'm actually was speaking to a friend who's thinking of building a new zoo, mm. and she wants elephants. and And I was think I told her again. One of the things to keep in mind is that uh, is that some as some zoos phase out elephants because, as I mentioned. It's, They've, they've come to determine that their zoo is not one that is well that is, uh, is well equipped to keep elephants, that they need a place to send their elephants to. So if you have a lot, if you have a, a decent amount of space that can, that can allow the elephants a um, place to roam, to explore, but more than that, if you had the facility to engage them and, and take care of them in a, in a really healthy manner, then great, we need places like, you know, we, need, we do need some zoos that are yeah. able to take it to the next level. Because it is important that we have animals like elephants in zoos, even, even though again, people have a hard time like, oh my gosh, no, we don't need elephants. I know what an elephant is. I know what, what to do. A lot of many people uh, still don't understand what are some simple things that they can do right here in the United States to help protect elephants in Africa yeah. and in Asia. So that helps. Yeah. 
I uh, do you ever see a future? Maybe this won't happen. Probably, I don't know. You know, and so zoo, so elephants are can roam in the wild in Africa, correct? So they're they're still doing that whole thing there. That's a tricky question, but yeah. yes, the, yes. The, the the short answer is is yes. They there are wild spaces that elephants roam quite yeah. a bit. Could you ever see that happening in the United States again at, at some point? Like that elephants would actually be in a very, very large open space. That you would be able to, to see. Um, yeah, there are, there are places that do that. There's some elephant yeah. sanctuaries mm -hmm. that have, again, thousands of acres for wow. the elephants, but they don't allow visitors. So you would never be able to, to actually see that. You can visit them on, online. I see. And so maybe that, that might be a good option. And there are again some zoos that are uh, that are looking to again expand their elephant. So once it, I said the Oregon Zoo has um, more than six acres, and rather than it doesn't sound like again it's not thousands of acres, yeah. but what they've done is they they've again it, it's spread over six acres, and they've worked those elephants to move more frequently so they're not being fed in one spot okay they actually constantly have to keep roaming to find their next feeding spot to find their next treat to find yeah. their next uh find to find their next activity so um as far as seeing elephants uh in like in a wild wild space it, it's possible and even today right now yeah but uh but again to to get that ultimate experience that I that that again that touched me as a young child I think that we still need to have we still are going to have the zoos and because most zoos not all of them but most zoos are a little bit on this landlocked uh, yeah. area of, surrounded by cities you're going to have some space issues right you know, it makes me think of when you're <clears throat> talking about, you know, when people go and see animals and generally changes mm -hmm. how they feel about it. I couldn't get this thought out of my mind. It's humans feel like we need to do that with other humans too. Yeah. You know, it's like you see an animal, you have more sympathy, you have more love, compassion for an animal. And I feel like people are the same way. If you never see somebody that looks different than you, has a different culture than you, you tend to objectify that thing and go, well, you know, it's just, it's just an object. It's not really even a person. And as soon as you sit down with somebody that's very different and you get in front of them, it often changes your mindset. About. So it's weird, this parallel between animals and people and being introduced to those things. And it's just, I don't know. I just thought about that. You know? That, that is amazing. I love that thought. <laughs> I'm glad that you thought yeah. that. Yeah. Cause it's so true. I actually have, um, started making these strong correlations. I call them life lessons from the animal kingdom. And mm. I may need to steal that. Because yeah, take it. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. We, we, we feel this deep need. Mm. We do. We feel this deep, deep need to learn about the animals. Yes. And we have scientists that study them in the wild. They have scientists that study them in zoos because it's easier access. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to understand them. And again, and as I mentioned, I feel like we just we need these zoos to help society yeah. understand the the world a little bit better. 
but then I come down to it. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really try to understand even my, even my own family. I'm like, yeah. I have, <laughs> have certain people, <laughs> have certain family members that I kind of keep at arm's length yeah. because, um, because they're different than me. Yeah. So that's absolutely genius. And we do, we need to, need to experience them. We need to embrace them and, and see things from their point of view to, to truly understand us, ourselves and yeah. the world and make it a little bit better place. <laughs> Most definitely. <clears throat> I was just came, I was like, man, there's so much, there's so much parallel thinking in terms of how do we get people closer to animals to feel compassion and like, Hey, we need to really, animals are part of the, the climate and you take an animal out of an ecosystem, it drastically changes that ecosystem. I think uh, Stephanie was talking about with elephants and how elephants, you know, are walking and stamping on things and eating things and, you know, in the wild and how that, when you take certain, whatever elephants, anything, it drastically changes this chain of events that happens. Mm -hmm. You can make the same almost thing about humans with that. But we just, for some reason, we don't look at ourselves that way. We go, we don't seem to make that correlation, but like, it was like a light bulb. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, well, we need to learn this same lesson in yes. many ways, you know? I did make that correlation uh, earlier this month. It, we're, yeah. we're wrapping up Pride Month and yeah. I made a big, uh, I noticed that um, pride or, you know, the diversity in the animal kingdom exists and that they're very accepting animals yes. are very accepting. They don't care that there is transgender, that there is, um, that there is, you know, uh, same sex right. relations within their own society. They don't care. They just, yeah. Are you an animal? Cool. You're what we call <laughs> conspecifics. Awesome. Okay. Come join us. And I felt like we can totally learn yeah. from, from that, from that element is that if they can accept each other <laughs> for being different then yeah. certainly, certainly a quote unquote higher species right. could, can learn more from that intelligent too. Species. more intelligent yeah. species. Right. So take me through and transition a little bit, how fitness came into the aspect of um, your world of being in zoos. How did those two worlds start merging together? It, it's a, it's one of my favorite stories to, to tell, honestly. And as a zookeeper, I worked my butt off. I gave 110% of my, of my entire life to, uh, to the animals. And I was noticing even after all that, I was, I was miserable. I, again, living a dream job but I was absolutely miserable physically and and mentally and this, the a light bulb came on one day when I realized that I can't take great care of the animals until I start taking care of myself so this first became a an animal care issue and you know for me it was it was all about the about taking better care of the animals, better care of the elephants. And I realized I needed to lose some weight. I needed to get some energy back. But rather than doing the whole, 
the whole fitness cycle once mm -hmm. again the whole i'm going to make myself eat salads i'm going to work out an hour every single day yeah. um those things i've done those things dozens of times i'd gotten personal trainers i'd gotten into fitness classes and they worked for a little bit but then fell off the wagon and i i realized it was a punishing mentality i was making myself i was again uh forcing using deprivation shame and guilt yeah. to do all this and so i decided you know i'm doing this for the animals why don't i use those things that i that i talked about with creating a positive relationship with the animals do that for myself instead of creating a just a positive relationship with the animals as we mentioned let's do this with ourselves with you know, with humans let's make a positive relationship with myself let's get the heart and the brain working together and and make this a a fun experience and something that um that i'm going to want to continue not just again meet my goal and then mm. woof, i'm uh, i'm yeah. finished so i i started using those those um little aspects of operant conditioning and positive reinforcement and rather than just going gung-ho i broke those healthy habits into small steps that i small achievable steps so mm -hmm. if i wanted to start drinking 80 hour 80 ounces of water i didn't start with 80 ounces of water i started with 10 i started with you know just one one sip of water at a time yeah and then it grew from there and and eventually i had a whole slew of healthy behaviors that I trained myself using using a positive mentality rather than a punishing one so i had these little incentives i had these um you know reinforcements that weren't necessarily food related but again as i mentioned you don't have to do it with animals either it yeah. was those little instances that i would you know celebrate each each uh each step of the way so it became it, it started it started snowballing and so it focused on that positive reinforcement and then i started noticing all these other fun little tidbits fun little life lessons from the animal kingdom that i had picked up throughout my 15 years of working ideas like putting motivation in the bank so every time i had an interaction with the animal I could, I could, you know, put more, more trust, more motivation in that bank for them to work with me, or I could withdraw it by making a not so fun experience. So I tried new activities. I tried yoga. That was mm -hmm. not motivation in the bank for mm -hmm. me. It was, I didn't enjoy it as much. But then I found yeah. some, uh, some animal, some exercises that uh, like boot camps and mm -hmm. and. Um, circuit training that I really, really, really enjoyed. And, and I, 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 that was motivation in the bank for me. That was, I wanted to continue doing that. And then I started even warping it even more, having more fun by saying, looking at these certain exercises going, that kind of reminds me of an animal mm. movement. And I started creating animal exercises. Yeah. And so instead, and calling them as such so instead of you know uh instead of calling just like a a, a 
a glute or a good morning, I was calling them giraffe reach downs because right. it looked like a giraffe reaching down for a, a drink of water. And uh, I came instead of, um, instead of like some quad, quad movements or, you know, calling these, these long, like uh, quadricep, um, sure. you know, uh, leg presses, I was calling them frog swims or it, again, it just became a little bit of fun for me. And I started creating my own workouts and my own movements. And one thing just led to another. And I just became kind of the queen of play. That's what I, I call myself. And is I just like think, I think fitness isn't something that we have to endure. I think it's something that we get to do. It's a lot of fun as long as you have that right mentality, as long as we use positive positive reinforcement yeah. and we make it fun we we find what's enjoyable for us and that's not the same thing isn't for everyone yeah um for sure you know i i enjoy the the circuit type workouts not everyone likes that some people like pilates some people love running i am not one of those people either yeah. <laughs> but, but uh to each their own. I love hiking. I absolutely love hiking. And the other thing I really enjoy that I've been thrilled with this, this particular week, swimming. I yeah. actually, yeah, I love getting in the water. I'm very connected, feel very alive in the water. So finding what speaks to you and doing that more often, doing more of that to, yeah. to help motivate you and get you, get you moving. So how do you stay connected to kind of the zoo world? I mean, I assume that you worked 15 years, you no longer do the zoo stuff full time for that, or how does that work? Yeah, I, I kind of kind of moved around a little bit and um, the closest zoo to us right now, well, the closest zoo to us in Blaine is actually in Vancouver. And that's that's a little hard with the border still closed. Yeah, <laughs> and the other one is uh, the other one is in is in Seattle, which is about um, 90 miles away. So I did leave the the zoo field to pursue my program zoo fit yeah. a little bit further. But I yeah, that we've I've often said that you can take the zookeeper out of the zoo, but you can't take the the zoo out of the of the zookeeper yeah. so i am you know once and once a zookeeper always a zookeeper and i still am very connected especially to my 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 last zoos to woodland park zoo with the keepers there yeah but more than that i if a lot of us and i do say us uh, are are in that same boat that i was in again having a dream job but absolutely miserable hmm. and this past year was incredibly rough on zookeepers wow. their zoos were closed they were not making any money and the zookeepers still had to show up every single day because the animals don't care that the zoos are closed right and they don't know so they had a tough tough year and so one thing i really wanted to show with show other zookeepers other animal care professionals and just animal lovers in general is that there is a, a better way you can take care of yourself, but also have a very positive impact on whatever you care about, whether that's the animals, your community, your family, and ultimately the planet. 
we yeah we have we have one world we have you know there isn't right now there's no planet b right now but uh but we don't just have to it, it doesn't have to be one or the other actually i found what through doing zoo fit that our healthy actions actually have a very positive impact on the planet from the foods that we eat the way we move the way we connect to the earth and the way we take care of ourselves has a really great positive impact on energy conservation climate change pollution plastic waste you name it and we can have a better you know promote a, a better tomorrow by taking care of ourselves today most definitely did you notice that well, I mean, I don't think a lot of people really know this. That's why I think it's fascinating. Like, is there an issue in the zookeeper world of health and wellness for zookeepers? Like, did you recognize that? And like, this is an area that is not being discussed amongst zookeepers. Is that, was that a thing? It wasn't until I left that I, I, I really? recognized it. And I was, I was very close to a, a dangerous precipice and before I found I found ZooFit and that is a compassion fatigue. And this isn't just a zookeeper thing. So if you're hearing this and you are relating to it, this is a, a very commonly in, in caring uh, profession. So nurses are notorious yes. for getting compassion fatigue, social workers, teachers, and animal care professionals. Um, we give our hearts to our job. You know, we give our all. And, and I can see definitely this year was really tough on healthcare professionals. A lot of them experienced compassion fatigue and burnout. So again, compassion fatigue leads to burnout. It's right. basically the idea of caring too much. And I hate to say it that way, but that is basically, it's caring too much about others without taking the time to care for yourself. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, it's, I can imagine, especially I feel like people who love animals, like have like a very deep, sincere love of animals. It's, um, I know my wife is one of those people. It's just like, it's very emotional. It's extremely emotional. And I think when you care that much about anything, it's very easy to get very deeply entangled in it and then forget about the self and, mm-hmm. and you're caring so much for other people. You know, I can only imagine how tough that was for animals and for people in this past year or so. You know, people lost loved ones, and I'm sure plenty of people who love animals losing animals during this time and mm-hmm. the devastation of that. And so I never thought about, though, compassion fatigue as much about in the way you're talking about it with zookeepers. But that's why I try to learn about this stuff because I don't know. It's not like it's a normal thing for me, you know, so right. I want to know like what's going on. Like when I go to, I love going to that aquarium in uh, Stanley park over there. Oh, it's amazing. Man. Yes. I, anybody listening an incredible, I've been to a lot of aquariums. This thing is amazing. It's crazy. And, um, but I, you don't see behind the scenes when you're there, you don't mm-hmm. know the people who are attending and caring for the animals and what they're daily life is like not I wanted to learn that I wanted to know like what's that like you know so I think kind of a nice 
thing to wrap up a little bit was what was a typical day like for you caring for elephants? I think it'd be a nice little story, you know? <laughs> uh, there was never a typical day. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I'll share with you a, 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 my favorite story with, with my favorite elephant. And I know we're not yeah. supposed to have favorites, but she was. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and um, it's basically, it, it started with my first day as, 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 as an elephant keeper. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of, I, I like to say, I ponder what it would, what it would kind of be like to have someone love you so much that they peed whenever they saw you. <laughs> and um, that's kind of sometimes how some animals express their love. It, wow. And that's how one of the elephants, Bamboo, would express her, her love for her favorite keeper. And she would just, whenever he came to visit, she would get so excited that she would pee. So he retired and, and he would come to visit. She would get so excited. Really? She peed all over the <laughs> barn. All just, you know, just clean that floor. But wow. Um, and there was another elephant, Chai. She loved to have her tongue rubbed mm -hmm. and, but only by, by Russ, you know, mainly mm -hmm. by, by one of my coworkers. Uh, I tried, it didn't go over well, yeah. <laughs> but she, you know, she, she liked to have her tongue rubbed. Then there was Watoto, and she's the the key one. I, I my became my favorite. She was the African elephant, and she wore her heart on her sleeve. She, she had you had no question about what she felt in any given moment. When when she really really liked someone, she gave this uh, this little purr. It was kind of a rumble, huh. and you could actually feel in your bones again it's talking about they they communicate even yeah. differently than than we do you could actually feel it in your bones um and when she was annoyed she would just kind of shake her her whole body flap her giant ears against her her uh, her back and then her rump and, and go on her way very very larger than life so i fell in love with her the moment i i met her unfortunately my love was a bit unrequited <laughs> because she had a history of not liking women. I'm going to put that in quotations. When I say okay. not liking women, I mean that she tried to kill them on oh a regular basis. And uh, wow. very fortunate that we were protected contact. We did mm -hmm. not go in with those elephants. Wow. But that still is intimidating to have the idea of having an 8,000 pound animal with malice on her brain. Wow. And so I, I resolved the fact that she was never going to love me because I can't help it. I'm, I'm a girl. And, yeah. but I did need her to work with me. So this is again, talking about building that positive relationship. And we have to take care of the elephants. We have to clean up after them. We don't need them around, but we also need to physically take care of them. So we would bring them in and do, uh, as I call them, pedicures. Um, so elephants, and particularly with Toto stayed on her feet up to 20, 24 hours a day. Mm. And, uh, and that's a lot of weight on their, on their feet. And so we would uh, do foot care with them again, trim their nails, um, uh, wear down their pads a little yeah. bit so that they it, it relieved a little bit that pressure. And needing her to work with me, I decided to compensate by giving her her extra special treats. So we would give them training treats of sweet potatoes, carrots, apples, and then some extra special ones like melon, bananas, different fruits. 
So I would save her favorites for working with her. And I would also give her lots of, uh, lots of breaks where she could choose whether or not she came back to, to work with us. Yeah. So I'd keep our, our sessions really short. I'd have her hold up her foot for maybe two or three minutes and then let her come, let her put her foot back down, stretch out if she wanted to come back. That was great. If she didn't, that was also fine for with uh, when working with her. And she became, to, she started, a rep, we started having a reputation together that she started to work really well with me. She also never, um, never charged me and that mm. with that malice, with that malicious intent. I kind of got a little bit of a reputation of being very reliable working with Watoto, which was again, a great enough honor. Yeah. But the best compliment I got was from Watoto herself. And that was one morning I came into the barn before anybody else, just to check on the girls. Chai came waltzing over. She lifts her trunk. She's begging for a treat. Watoto comes up next to her, kind of gently nudges her out of the way. And then she lowers her head where I could have reached out and touched her um, if there had been someone else with me, but it, I could have reached down and touched her, but she lowered her head and I'm not kidding you. She rumbled. Mm. And, um, and I turned around trying to see who was behind me. Was it Russ? Was it another one of the guys that I worked with? Yeah. And then she, it wasn't, it was, I, there was no one else in that barn, but me. And so she was rumbling for me. And I often say that from that moment on, you know, Toto was my girl always and forever. She was just a really yeah. special elephant to me. But after that moment, I knew from then on that I was also her, her girl. Yeah. And, uh, and it is a powerful lesson on how we can get to our goals if we focus on the process, not the destination. And, uh, and knowing that it's going to take time, you know, working with animals, working on your daily goals, uh, <laughs> working on, on any of the struggles and challenges that we face as humans, it's going to take time. We got to focus on the process, not, not just focus on the destination. And then you too, as I often tell my, my clients, you too will have a Watoto's rumble. <laughs> Great story. Well said. <clears throat> well, I got to tell you, that was, uh, was really enlightening. A lot of really good information. Uh, the goal is just to learn, learn about other people's experiences. And PJ, I'm thankful that you're sharing yours with us. Thank, so, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you for your time. And, uh, and what a weird thing to be like, hey, you're around here. <laughs> so <laughs> I never get to say I might get to see you soon at some point, you know, so that's really cool. So thank you so much for your time, PJ. Oh, thank you for having me. You got it. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>